this day. And so we have two young gentlemen, uh, Michael and Demetrius, who is here first, who have been with us, what, about a year? They have been coming here for about a year with uh, Brendan and Brenda and Leroy, and they have been a joy to have. And they have gradually, over the year, learned more and more about Jesus Christ. And then a few weeks ago, Brenda and Leroy were sharing the gospel with them on one of those nights where no one's doing anything, and they both decided that they wanted to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so they did that and uh, had the opportunity to talk to him about baptism. And so they're coming for baptism today, and then later on we'll be voting uh, for church membership as well. So very exciting time. And D, this is D, or Demetrius. You can wait to <laughs> So I just have one question to ask you. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes, he said yes. So because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And this is Michael. So Michael's story is very similar, and uh, he's been a joy to be to have here as well. And so I'll ask you the same question, Michael. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Amen. Because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. gentlemen. <laughs> Father, we thank so much for the opportunity that we have here to see this baptism and just to experience their faith and it's so fresh and, and it encourages us and we're thankful for that. And we pray as a church that you'd help us to come alongside them and continue to help them in their walk with Christ um, and uh, that they would grow in their knowledge of him and become uh, strong disciples of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 If you have your Bible, you'll be wanting to turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. I think it's on your handout. Everyone got a handout? Okay, should have come with your bulletin, handout, an opportunity for you to take some notes and to write some things down that God shows is important to you during this sermon. So, who's your one? That's one thing we're going to be focusing on all your long. It's not something necessarily we'll mention every week, but for at least the next three or four weeks we'll be talking about who's your one in very different scenarios. And today we're going to be talking about the Jesus healing of the paralytic. And so uh, let me ask you a question before I get started though. What is man's favorite sport? Favorite sport? Yeah. Golf? Golf? Huh? Fishing. Fishing. <laughs> Fishing. According to a 1965 movie, which I think is pretty funny, it's called Man's Favorite Sport. The favorite sport of man is fishing. And this story, yeah, Daryl Ann's shaking her head. No, not for me. <laughs> you got to remember this was back in the 60s. And so this movie is a story about a gentleman. His name is Roger Willoughby. And he, ha he's happened, he uh, happens to be played by Rock Hudson. So you guys remember Rock Hudson, right? Most of you remember Rock Hudson. 
So he kind of played in these rom-com kind of movies quite a bit. And uh, so he plays the part of Roger Billaby, Willoughby. And he is a salesman in a city department store is what it looks like. And he is a salesman for fishing gear. And everyone comes to him because he is the expert on fishing. He can show you the right rod to use, the right reel to use, the right lures to use for each and every kind of fish. He has got contact with all the different lakes uh, and he knows what's biting and what time of day that they are biting. He has even written a book on fishing. And so uh, he is asked by his employer to go to this one lake and join in a fishing tournament. And so he's a little worried about that because he has never actually fished. <laughs> and so the whole story is that he can't get out of this. His boss sends him to this lake and he sends along a girl with him who is Abigail and she is familiar with the lake. She is an outdoors type person and she is going to teach him how to fish. Well, it is just hilarious if you watch this movie. He has no idea how to fish. He ends up in the lake. He ends up with fish down his waders. It is just hilarious. He gets himself hooked. He pulls and he pulls himself into the lake and it is just hilarious. But it's not so hilarious, is it, when Jesus says that we will be fishers of men and yet we don't fish, right? So that kind of turns it to a little bit uh, different side of things. And so sadly, the same can be said of many Christians within the United States that, who do not participate in the mission Christ has given us. But today we have just an excellent example from the scripture of how we should be engaged in the mission for Christ. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to stand right back up again. And as we read scripture, we're going to read Luke 5, 17 through 26. Up and down, up and down. We get our aerobic exercise today, right? Get the heart going. And of course, this is Jesus who is teaching. But verse 17 starts out and says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Jesus, Pharisees, and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down, and with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized all, them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this scripture and 
We're so thankful that we have examples of Jesus and examples of men like this who are involved in ministry, that they could be positive examples for us. And we pray that we would see how devoted these men were to the mission that they had taken on and that they persevered. And it gives us the courage and the encouragement for us to persevere in things that are difficult for us. So we pray that you would reveal that to us and that we would be obedient to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. So most of you know I'm not one to wait to the last and spring what the teaching is about. Some pastors do that, some preachers do that, and they do it very effectively. I like to be right up front with you and tell you what the meaning of this passage is and what we're to get out of it. And, and it's this, God calls us to not only be committed to his mission to reach the lost, but to be active participants, right? We are to be active in our participation in this mission. And so Jesus came for what reason? He came to seek and to save that was lost, right? He came to serve as a ransom for many. And so our mission should be the same mission of Jesus. And these men in this story that we have just read, they are perfect examples of this. First of all, these men had a mission. Amen. These men had a mission. They were on a mission. They had to get their friend to Jesus no matter what the cost. There's something, just something about being on a mission that drives us, whereas if we're just not on mission, we're not so excited. And this is never more evident than when you go on a mission trip, right? When you go on a mission trip, those of you who have been on a mission trip, we recently went to Argentina. Some have been to India, Africa that are here today, Haiti. When you go, you want to make good use of all of your time, right? You want to make good use of all of your time. You want to accomplish what Jesus has sent you there to do. And so you come up with a plan. You're very intentional, intentional, intentional about what you're going to do. And so like when we went to Argentina, we knew that we were going to be helping kids and teaching kids, and they sent us material, and we provided all of that material and took it down there with us, and then we taught the kids basically were trying to teach them some English. But we had a plan and we were very intentional about it. When we used to be pastors of uh, the youth at First Baptist Church in Mount Carmel, Illinois, we would go on mission trips as, as well. But I wanted the, the kids who went on that trip to be as prepared as they could be to do ministry, not just to have a good time, although we wanted them to have a good time, but also to be able to do ministry. And so we spent several months teaching them how to share the gospel, how to do uh, fellowship, how to lead Bible studies and various different things. And lo and behold, when we went on the mission trips, for the most part, they did very well at doing missions, not just going and hearing teaching, but actually going out in the community and doing missions. What we never were as good about doing is coming back to our hometown and staying on mission. There's just something about our hometown that it's very difficult to stay focused on a mission. It seems as though people, once they come back, go their own different ways. And uh, it's kind of like that in churches sometimes as well. People go their own certain ways. They're doing their own certain things. And so we need to do I think follow the example of these leaders, of these, of these men in this story, 
who were on a mission and they were focused on that mission. This was not a mission that was overseas. This was a friend of theirs right in their very own community that they were concerned about. A lot of uh, churches and a lot of different mission groups actually have mission statements and those can be very helpful. Um, I remember, I think it was the, the uh, I'll probably forget it if I try to mention it by memory, but the Navigators uh, mission state, statement was to know Christ and to make him known. I don't know if you can get much better than that. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good uh, mission statement. Uh, but all your big companies like Instagram, Instagram has a mission statement to capture and share the world's moments. Uh, Tesla to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Uh, they all have a mission statement and they have an intentional plan of what they want to do. Our goal is to seek and to save the lost and to make disciples of all nations. We've been given that by the Lord Jesus. It's not optional for us. Our goal is to make disciples of all nations. And I repeat, these men had a mission and we need to be on mission as well. You know, whether it's overseas or whether it's just next door to our neighbor, we need to understand that we need to be on a mission. Their mission was to get their friend to Jesus. Isn't that our mission? <laughs> get our friends to Jesus. And by that, I might mean get them to a church where they can hear the gospel, share the gospel with them th themselves, love on them as Jesus would love on them. They, they had to push through crowds. They went over crowds. They went through the roof. And they finally got him to Jesus. They were determined to get him to Jesus. And so in your ministry, and each of us here should have a ministry, what drives you in your ministry? Or, or do you have a ministry? What things spiritually has God put on your heart or maybe is putting on your heart that you long to see come about in your lifetime? Well, you know, I, I can just tell you, I, I want to see all of my family saved. And I want to see as many people around me, neighbors, coworkers, saved as possible. Because people are what's eternal, right? I mean, a thousand years from now, we won't care about so much about cars and iPhones and cell phones and computers and even shotguns <laughs> or rifles. I mean, we will be concerned about people, right? The people that are in heaven. Do you have a kingdom dreams? Now listen to this. Do you have kingdom dreams such as people coming to faith in Christ or are your dreams all tied to this life? You know, we probably all want to see things maybe we have a home that we'd like to remodel or upgrade or maybe buy a new home there are some things that are genuinely worthy of our endeavors and that we have to do but what about kingdom dreams what about your desire to see Christ glorified in everything what about your desire to see him to be famous throughout the whole world do you know the whole world, 95% of the whole world has heard of Coca-Cola? And only a fraction of that have ever heard about Jesus. I figured it up one time. There's, a, I think, 7 billion people in the world right now. Probably about 
two billion have never heard of the word Jesus, have no access to Jesus, to hearing about Jesus. And so we have to be intentional. We have to use our time in the best way that we can. And I think these men did. They were, they were eager, both eager and expectant. That's the attitude that they had. They were eager about their work. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus. They looked forward to their task. So many times in our churches, I think we see apathy. If we're serious and really look at ourselves and other churches, we see apathy in everything that should be excited about. The church of Ephesus, I think, had a problem with apathy. They were good at doing a lot of good works, but they had fought, they'd lost their first love, right? They had lost their motivation. They were doing things, but it was out of habit. It was out of maybe prestige or trying to get credit from someone else, but it wasn't out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus had to remind them that they'd lost their first love, that love that we experience when we first become a Christian and we're willing to do anything, go anywhere for Christ. It also reminds me of the Laodicean church who was lukewarm. lukewarm. Anyone in here want to be lukewarm? I, uh, I've kind of gotten into barbecue this year and got me a pellet grill and I fixed a pork loin the other day and so we had already uh, ate part of it and I put the rest of it in the refrigerator. And so I was going to get me some out and warm it up in the microwave and I warmed it up and part of it was hot, part of it was cold and I just thought, yuck. <laughs> so of course I had to put it back in a little bit longer and get it hot and then it was good but but lukewarm does us nothing we must be intentional about our mission we must have a, this fire burning in our belly that wants to get the gospel out and so if you don't have that fire in your belly to get the gospel out to people i would just i would just focus on what christ has done for us and just imagine the suffering that he has gone through on the cross for us coming to this earth and what he gave up in order for us to have a relationship with Christ and help that build your fire in your belly so that you will want to tell others about Christ. They expected good things to happen. They thought if we can just get him to Jesus, then it's gonna be in Jesus's hands and when it's in his hands, he is going to do good things. I think he will do that with us, with our one that we pick as well. If we are diligent to pray for them, if we do our part by learning the gospel and share it effectively with them, God is going to be faithful. Maybe not this year, maybe five years from now. We've been praying for Cody for many, many years. We've been praying for my son many, many years. You've been praying for a lot of your family for many, many years. and. You know, we just don't give up, do we? We don't give up. We continue to pray for them and believe and expect good things to happen from Jesus. It was he, after all, who he said this in Matthew chapter 9, and this has been a theme kind of the last couple of weeks as well, but he told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That, didn't that tell, tell us something? The, the harvest is plentiful. There are people out there who want to hear about Christ, who when they hear about Christ will say yes to Christ. The problem is not that. The problem is there is a lack of laborers to go out and reach those people. People aren't going out. People aren't fishing. 
for men. And so a couple questions for us to think about. Do you eagerly expect someone to come to faith? Why or why not? And you could give, you could give some answers that would be compelling. You could, you could give an answer that's like, well, I prayed for a long time and nothing's ever happened. And you should continue to pray. But is there more than we can do than just pray? I mean, prayer is important, but isn't part of praying determining what God's will is for my life? And maybe beyond prayer, God actually wants me to go to that person or call that person up and say, hey, can I ask you where are you at in your relationship with God? I think just about anybody would be open to that kind of question. But we should. We should be eagerly expecting that someone will come to faith through us. Does your eagerness and expectation move you to action? And it definitely should. It should. It should move us to action. And the good thing about moving us to action is that we become a positive example to other Christians, right? I think so many times, and I've mentioned this, you know, in a lot of different areas of the Christian life, but uh, we set the bar really low for our Christian life. And when we all meet that, we feel pretty good about ourselves. And sometimes when someone else sets the bar a little bit higher, they're, um, they're criticized for that. But we need to set the bar higher. Remember our example is first Paul, and then Paul was an imitator of Jesus, right? So ultimately we are to imitate Jesus and the type of faith that he had. I, I had an opportunity this, this week, and I can't say this happens every week, but I was thinking about this sermon and what I was going to have to share with you when this situation happened, but I finally got my hair cut. <laughs> finally got my hair cut this week, so I go to Walmart in Princeton, and uh, I just get whoever is there, you know. I don't ask for a certain person. So I'd had this girl before, and, and we really didn't have much conversation, but this time we got talking about Christmas, and she got talking about hers wasn't so great because she really didn't have a good time getting together with her family. Apparently, in her younger life, in her teenage, she had been pretty uh, hard on her parents and there's still hard feelings. And so they got together, but they didn't really have a lot to talk about. And somehow uh, I, I, I started talking to her about my son, Alex, and how he had changed a little bit, uh, you know, is, is uh, pleasant to be around. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to her about how we had made him go to church, you know, until he was about 15 or 16. And she said, I used to go to church. And I thought, that's, that's my opportunity. And I just shared with her. I said, you know, you may have been away from church for a long time, but Jesus is always there for you if you come back to him and repent of your sin and confess your sins, then you can be right with God. And then she changed the subject pretty quickly and but she got the message, right? She at least got that message. And sometimes, sometimes we water, sometimes we plant, sometimes we fertilize. It's God who gives the growth, so we need to be patient for that. But I, did, I felt like I did my part for that day. She, she got to hear the gospel. And so we need to have that eager and expectant attitude. And just on a side note, one thing in, in all our travels throughout 
noble and going to homes and knocking on doors. Only one person, I think Charlotte had that person, whoever, whoever refused to let us pray for them. You know, no matter what state they're in, they're, you know, if I would ask, can we pray for you? Or Bill, we've been together, can we pray for you? And they said, well, sure. And man, what a great opportunity that is to get into sharing the gospel as well. So these men, they were eager, they were expectant. We need to have that attitude as well. But these men did encounter obstacles, didn't they? The question is, did they give up? No, no they didn't give up. We give up too easy, don't we? We give up too easy at the slightest hint of any kind of resistance. We have a tendency to want to give up. But look at the things that they had to, uh, obstacles they had to go through. First of all, there was his infirmity. This guy was paralyzed. He could not help himself to Jesus. He was at the mercy of those who would get them to Jesus. And, you know, our unsaved friends are that same way. They have, they have no way within themselves to get them to Jesus. They have no heart's desire to get to Jesus. They are corrupt. They are depraved. They are sinners, just like we were at one time. And so they needed help. They needed help, or he needed help to get through this crowd, which was another obstacle. And then finally, the house was an obstacle. And then finally, the roof and all the criticism that comes with busting down through the roof right there upon Jesus and lowering them down. Think of the criticism like, hey, you need to wait in line, for instance. Go to the back of the line. But no, they, they took it upon themselves. We have to get them to Jesus. And we, I think we have, and myself as well, we assume that the path that we are to take will be the one of least resistance, that it's always going to be the path of least resistance. And that's just not true. It's not true in life. It's not true in Scripture. Think of Paul and the other disciples. They often had to go very difficult paths and extreme resistance to be in the, to be in the will of God. And uh, I can't remember my geography real well. I think it was Derby or Lystra, but Paul went into one of those and began to preach the gospel, and they basically beat him and tossed him outside the city and you would have thought that would be obstacle enough I'm going to go somewhere else no he gets back up and goes back into that city and preaches the gospel again I wrote down here the birth of a child is never easy right physically or spiritually it never comes easy there is a spiritual war going on that is trying to keep us from sharing the gospel and unfortunately many times they are very effective because when we see the least bit of resistance from the person we're talking to or from a government, then we give up. And we have to learn to persevere through those in the will of God, right? <laughs> Make sure that it's the will of God in that personal situation. These men had a closed door, so to speak, but they were willing to kick it open to get their friend to Jesus. What obstacles have derailed you from the mission? That's something we need to ask ourselves, probably on a frequent basis. What obstacles have derailed you from the mission? What would it look like for you to dig a hole in the roof <laughs> right now? What would be your roof that you were going to dig and get your person to Jesus? 
Sometimes we look foolish, right? To get someone to Christ, we may look foolish to the world. But it's the right thing to do. It's the bold thing to do. We should have the boldness of Jesus. And then finally, these men got more than they bargained for. They didn't settle for less, and they received a miracle. They are expecting big things, and they received a miracle. Isn't it possible that God just wants us to see us step out in big, humongous faith, and he will do the miracles then? If we don't step on faith, we're not going to see miracles, right? We're just going to see everyday kind of activities. We need to step out in faith. And, and when I say we, we, I mean you. You know, not point anyone individually, but I am talking to individuals. You, I need to step out in faith more often and share the gospel. Jesus healed the man of his paralysis, but he also healed the men of their sin. They had faith. He had faith. Jesus said to get up and tell them to walk away is the same as saying, I have forgiven your sins. And so think a little bit about the, you know, the effect these men had on this person's life. And then think about how did others play a role in you trusting in Christ? Anyone have a quick story about how someone else affected them coming to know Christ? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, right? It just happened. So uh-huh. It was good. So. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me it was it was several different people and I I mentioned the uh, my grandmother, my grandma Lav and uh her faithfulness to share Christ. That's that's one thing that kind of terrified me about becoming a Christian. I learned from my grandma that when you become a Christian, you share your faith because she always did. She she did at meals, she did it nighttime Bible stories. She always told me, Robbie, trust in the Lord. And I always remember that, even though going through high school, I didn't really, there came a point in time where I wasn't sure that I even believed in God. But that always remained with me. And then I happened to be looking on Facebook and some of my old high school buddies showed up and I, they were all Christian. And so coincidentally, I moved from Robinson to Oblong School District uh, during my sophomore junior year and coincidentally I just fell in with a group of Christians who were a good example for me so both of those I think had an effect on why I came to know Christ but you have people in your life right people who invited you to church people who maybe prayed with you through a difficult situation uh, moms or dads who were faithful to bring you to church uh, maybe some of you became uh, Christians outside of the church like me. I, I wasn't in the church service when I became a Christian. Uh, but someone had an effect on your life. Why would you not long for the same type of transformation in others from you, right? <laughs> we pass it on. We pass it on. And so in concluding, I'm going to read you another story. And you may have heard this before, but 
it really goes good with our sermon today. So listen intently while I read, read about a page here. It says, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defending fishing as an occupation and declaring that fishing is always to be primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing and to decide what new streams should be thought about, but the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing license. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. The engaged, they engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to fish in a good way so that the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's club and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never finished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? It's time to start casting our nets. Who's the one you're going to, to go after? Who's your one? Let's pray. Father, we thank so much for the opportunity that we have to be here today and hear your words and to see example of these gentlemen who were so intent on getting their friend to Jesus. We pray that we would get this same message, that there's an intensity that we need, there's an there's a enthusiasm that we need, that maybe we, if admitted ourselves, we don't have all the time. So we pray that you would change us, that you would see that 
you are wonderful and gracious and loving, and we need to tell people about that. You need to be glorified among the nations. You need to be made famous in this whole world because of your grace and your love and your steadfastness, your faithfulness to us. And so help us to do that. Help us also to share that there's an eternal reward waiting for people who place their faith and their trust in Christ. Help us learn to be intentional and be thinking right now of ways that we can share the gospel with our closest friends and our neighbors and our family members. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And I will...